Hello everybody and welcome back to Mugarks at Movies, the show where we don't talk smack about movies, celebrate them, and today we are celebrating the birthday of a film called Birthday Wonderland. How appropriate, but it has indeed been a year since the Japanese theatrical debut of Keichi Hara's The Wonderland, which Eleven Arts premiered earlier in North American theaters in February. We, Lord, and I went to go see it. We recorded a podcast about it. And two months later, we are sharing it with you on the birthday of the film called Birthday Wonderland. Though, here in the States, Eleven Arts called it The Wonderland, which is a strange choice. But, nonetheless, it was an enjoyable film. And I hope you enjoy listening to our podcast on the film. But, sadly, this is the last of our pre-recorded At Movies episodes on films that had come out in theaters earlier in the year. We missed a couple of other anime theatrical screenings. And while we are making up for one with Violet Evergarden... We are pretty much out of anime movies that are coming out in theaters to review until theaters reopen. But that's not going to stop us from producing more anime movies episodes. And if you've been paying attention to the last couple of episodes, you'll know that we have a poll set up right now for you guys to vote on. Where we're going to be reviewing movies from our personal collection that either one or both of us haven't seen. We have 40 different movies to choose from. We want you guys to pick four that we'll be reviewing in May. And we will be announcing what those movies will be on our next episode. So look forward to that. But for now, let's get the birthday party started. As we discuss and explore the wonders of Keiichi Hara's film, The Wonderland. Dance, birthday wonderland. Ha, ha, dance, birthday wonderland. Flying through to a nearby theater, we chase our dreams to see birthday wonderland. It's that it's not called birthday wonderland. Eleven hours told are just the wonderland. But it's a new film by Keiichi Hara, director of Shin-Shan. Oh, what did we think about this movie? Did we like it as much as his last, Ms. Hokusai? Yeah, welcome to Manga Marathon Movies. Ha, ha. Yeah, on the Wonderland, I'm going to review and I'll talk about Birthday Wonderland. I'm going to review and I'll start to dance with Boogie One. No, not Boogie One. The Birthday Wonderland. That's the film we saw. It's not called Birthday Wonderland. It's, it's, called, it's called The Wonderland. By Eleven Arts, who distributed in theaters towards the end of January, though we saw it in early February, and now we're going to talk about it. As we mentioned, it is indeed the latest film by Keiichi Hara, who is a veteran of Japanese animation, especially children's animation. He's worked on Doraemon, the 80s series. He has worked on uh, As for Mommy. And he was the director of Shin-Chan for 12 years, including directing 13 of the Shin-Chan movies, including the critically acclaimed The Adult Empire Strikes Back. And also, he in recent years has been doing a lot of work on uh, independent, well not really independent, but he's been doing a lot of work in feature film animation. He did Colorful in 2010, and then he did Ms. Hokusai 2015, and now his latest film is The Wonderland. And Eleven Arts has put that out in theaters like they did uh, Ms. Hokusai back in 2016, and we went to, to see it. Wasn't Ms. Hokusai G-Kids? Oh uh, yeah. Well, Eleven Arts has picked <laughs> this one up, and we saw it in theaters. Thank you, Eleven Arts. Yeah. And... 
This film is interesting from a meta level, just even more so, I guess, than the the plot of it. Because, for one thing, uh, the voice actress Owe in Miss Hokusai, the titular Miss Hokusai, she returns in this film as kind of the sidekick character to the main character. And honestly, she kind of steals the spotlight from the main character. Yeah, yeah, she totally does. And in addition to that, so the villains, quote-unquote, in this film are Zangu and Doropo. They are played by Keiji Fujiwara and Akiko Yajima, respectively. And uh, their best-known roles are Shin-chan's father and Shin-chan, respectively. Like, literally, Keiji Hara had the actors for Shin-chan's dad and Shin-chan uh, play the villains in the, his film. And their dynamic, now a lot of their interactions really make sense from their perspective and how they interact with each other. It's kind of like uh, Zangu is like a meaner version of Shin-chan's dad. Oh my god. And Doropo is totally a mischievous character just like shin Someone needs to take this movie and digitally like add their faces. <laughs> In terms of other, like, interesting casting, Kumiko also appears in this film as the main character, Akane's mother, and she was also, she's also pretty typecast as mother figures in anime films, but uh, specifically, she played the mother of the main character in Keiji Hara's film, Colorful. Hmm. So, she's very known for playing uh, mothers, especially. Oh, she was also in Miss Hokusai as a... uh, one of the prostitutes, I believe. Sayo Goromo. And all she was also cute as mother in uh, The Boy and the Beast by Mamoru Hosoda. Yeah, I mean, that's really cool. And uh, the main actress, Mayu Matsuoko, plays the main character, Akane, is actually not too much of an anime performer. She was uh, one of the main characters of the film Shoplifters, which was an Academy Award-nominated film, uh, where she played Aki Shibata. I have not seen uh, Shoplifters yet, but you have? Yeah, so which character did she play? Aki Shibata. Aki Shibata, um... That does ring a bell. I'm just quickly going to Wikipedia to double-check which character that was. In terms of other notable anime roles, she was also young Shoya in A Silent Voice. And she has been in Shihayafuru Seasons 3, though I don't know what the character is exactly. I mean, I know the name of the character, Shinobu Wakayama, but I have not seen Shihayafuru 3. Okay, I looked up her character, Aki Shibata from Shoplifters. Yeah, she was like the teenage girl who was working at a hostess club. She she did a really good job in that film. Cool. And she's also going to be in the next Digimon film, which we're going to go see, uh, Last of Illusion Keys. And now she's going to play the character Minoa Bellucci. We probably won't see the sub. We'll probably see the dub. But she's also going to be in uh, another upcoming anime film. So, another interesting casting there. One of the most interesting uh, castings, though, is probably Masachika Ichimura, who is not much of an anime person. He's mostly known for uh, Japanese film and television dramas and musicals, but there is a hugely famous uh, anime role he has played, and he was in a movie that came out last year reprising that famous anime character. Do you know who that is off the top of your head, Lord? Um, not really. He is the voice of Mewtwo in the Pokemon anime. Oh. That's right. Oh. He played the character in the original Pokemon Mewtwo Strikes Back, and he reprised the role last year for Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution. And I guess Kajigara find out that he's coming back to do anime and saying, hey, you're coming back to be Mewtwo. Do you want to be in my film too? <laughs> so he played Hippocrates, like kind of mentor magician figure in the film. I mean, hey, that's that's cool. Yeah, I mean, fun casting in this film. I will say, like, I really appreciated doing the research on that and learning about that. So this film, The Wonderland, or like we had mentioned before, it's called Birthday Wonderland uh, in Japan. It's based on a children's story called Strange Journey from the Basement by Sachiko Kashiwaba. And I tried to do research on this book, on this story, and I couldn't really find anything that wasn't related to the anime. 
So it's not really well known in just English database communities. I'm sure if I knew Japanese and can uh, search Japanese search engine, uh, I might be able to find more data, but there's no Wikipedia article. There's no nothing in English I could find about this original short story. But I think keeping in mind that it is based on a children's story is worth keeping in mind because the plot of the film is also pretty simple. But actually, before I get ahead of myself, uh, in terms of other production details that I think is very worth noting, the character designs for this film are done by an actual uh, a Russian illustrator, very, very uh, prolific and famous Russian illustrator, Ilya Kuvshinov. Yeah, that's right. And uh, for people who aren't aware, she's also, I think, doing the character designs for the upcoming Ghost in the Show Netflix series. That she is. She is doing the character designs, or rather, she has done the character designs for Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex 2045. And those character designs look great. And you can look up her art very readily on the web and uh, her art is truly incredible yeah. like she is it makes sense why she's such a in demand and uh, kind of viral character designer and why she has been reached out to for like her illustration expertise because her illustrations are beautiful and uh, she is one of those artists who is like incredibly not only prolific in like terms of employment with studios but also just freelance and independent because she also has a huge following on her patreon so she's really living the freelance artist illustrator's life which i incredibly admire yeah for sure i know she also has like an art book out as well in english by pi international That's the same right. people who uh released a. Uh, Posca de Mizu's uh, art book. That's something I really want to hunt down because her art is so beautiful. I'd love to flip through that as well. Yeah, for sure. And also, uh, to mention other credits, the screenplay writer, the script writer for this film, is also a veteran of children's animation. And they are Miho Maruo, and their credits also are quite extensive. They've been on Sazai-san. They've been on... Uh, they actually were the screenwriter for Miss Hokusai. Uh, Hara's previous film, and they've done so many other things like Kodocha and Motsukai Sally and Colorful. They also did the screenplay for so actually they've done the screenplay for a bunch of Hara's previous works. Oh, and Hamtaro, that's a fun one. <laughs> so yeah, uh, another veteran of like children's uh, animation as a screenwriter. And yeah, so again, there's a pretty great production cast for this. Like, a lot of talent involved. Yeah, it makes sense, because watching the film, it looks visually very stunning. Especially in the early parts, I really paid attention to the character animation, and there's so many subtleties, and so much, like, really great character acting that goes on. Yeah, like, I really love the one scene where it's like, I think... They're going into, like, the basement place that will send them to the Wonderland, and, like, she's, like, rushing to go get get her, like, shoes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I really love the animation there, because it's all just kind of, like, constantly flowing. Oh, yeah, and even before that, when they are introducing Pipo and Hippocrates, uh, like, when they're coming in, like, just kind of the wild takes that she does... Like, in the way like she kind of is jumping on her feet and doing a double take and reacting like that. Kind of mm. the attention paid to the animation there, like how people would move. And then when kind of Hippocrates is kind of coming in on the scene and also kind of does a little jump and jerk. Things like that I really stuck out to me. And that were, oh, wow, they are, like, really, really going the extra mile to do these extra movements, these extra flourishes that really add so much to the character and, like, their believability in this world that, like, you rarely kind of see, even in, like, bigger budget anime films. Like, not just a straightforward motion, but actually doing these flourishes that kind of add character. Another moment I really liked is when Akane is riding her bike to Chi's shop, and, like, she just stops... Not stops, but, like, while she's riding the bike, she, like, kind of leans down into her bucket on the bike, which has the flowers, and she just, like, smells the flowers, and it's just, like, this small thing, like, that's happening, and she's, like, 
riding her bike and doing all these other things. It's a small action that I really appreciated them doing. It's just as part of like this fluid scene. Yeah, yeah. You can tell that like there's a lot of attention to detail placed in the film. Mm-hmm. And also worth noting is that uh, the music composer was by Harumi Fugi, who also did Miss Hokusai. So a lot of returning talent from Miss Hokusai in this film. I mean, I guess don't fix what's not broken. I mean, yeah, if you got a good crew, <laughs> it's great to bring them back together. Bring you the know squad they'll do back. a great job. <laughs> so the story of the Wonderland is fairly simple. Like the title suggests, it is kind of an Alice in wonderland fable in terms of being a metaphor for what a character is going through in terms of growing pains, in terms of emotional maturity, coming of age. In this case, the main character, Akane, has her birthday coming up, which is why the film is called Birthday Wonderland Japan. And, you know, she is kind of uncertain. She's a little bit scared of growing up. And... Is kind of a passive person in general. She kind of like shies away in her room, spends all her time there just in her room looking on her phone. And so the big crux of the movie is to get her out of her comfort zone, to make her go on this hero's journey by having her being chosen as like the uh, goddess of the green wind. Yeah, that, that sounds right. So she's chosen as, like, kind of a savior figure to this mystical wonderland world. Whereas, like, she is the one who can really help solve this problem. And so the film is, like, pushing her to, okay, you should be proactive and you should be involved in what is going on and in interacting with other people and, like, kind of taking a step forward and kind of helping other people around you and just being part of the world in general. Is kind of the idea behind your character arc in this film. And so the conflict is like she goes into this world and there is a water drought. And it's said that the goddess of the green wind has been able before in the fable 600 years ago prior to the story that they were able to like fix the problem. What the royal family, the royal family is very much tied to uh, water in this world. They are responsible for keeping uh, like the water supply available and fluids through the ceremony they do every few years. But the royal family is in dire straits because the king and the queen have passed away. And the prince is supposedly on his bed stricken with illness. And he hasn't, you know, recovered from that. And also, like, the head wizard in charge of him has just gone to sleep for a year. So they're kind of out of luck there, too. <laughs> Kuma Dorma, I believe, was the wizard's name. He's like this mm -hmm. big kind of bubbly guy. A round guy. Yeah. Kinda. It's very funny, like, when they try and go wake him up, and he's, like, on this floating house, and it's, like, tilted inside, and, like, when he's snoring, like, the house, like, moves, like, the house is a character. Like, that's quite a funny touch. I'm <laughs> sure. But basically, Akane teams up with a wizard called Hippocrates, who has, like, this big, bushy mustache, very gentlemanly, kind of uses magic with a leaf. That can, like, can summon sheep and do all sorts of whimsical things. And the main thing he does uh, to kind of propel Akane on the journey is that he casts a spell on her called, like, the spell of an anchor. I forget, like, the full name of it. But basically, it's like this anchor necklace that once she puts on, it kind of sinks into her body. Mm -hmm. And it prevents her from, like, take literally taking a step back. So there's a funny scene very early on in the film because she can't, like, retreat and take a step back. Like, there's an oncoming tank, like, that's coming towards her, but she can't actually <laughs> move. So Hippocrates and Akane's friend, she has to literally pick her up and, like, run away. <laughs> so that's very funny. And speaking of, she is probably my favorite character in the film. She's an older person than Akane. She's, like, an adult. I think she's more of a friend of her mom's. 
And she's a really cool character because she's pretty worldly. She's gone on all these adventures over the world and collected all sorts of interesting trinkets and knickknacks and exotic foods. And she sells them in like this shop, which is just a bunch of like uh, exotic artifacts and art and trinkets and all that. It's She seems like a really cool person. Like she's pretty worldly and she's pretty excitable. She likes to like... She really gets involved and she reacts to things in a really fun way, too. Like, she is such a breadth of personality. She's, like, the strongest personality in the film. And, like, I really appreciate it for that because Akane, in contrast, is kind of a passive character. She's very reserved compared to, like, Chi's just, like, constant yeah. energy. Akane is very introverted compared to Chi's extrovertedness. Chi is sort of kind of like a mirror of what Akane should probably grow up to be or, like, start being kind of... Because, like, she is, as an adult, has kind of grown into her own, kind of is sure of herself, and so that's why she's able to kind of take everything in stride and, like, go with the flow of the world and be excited about going on an adventure. Mm -hmm. And Akane kind of needs to learn to also embrace the adventure and, like, embrace, like, herself in that way and kind of gain that confidence in order to be social with people. In order to, you know, be able to kind of face things fearlessly and also really be able to be a part of the world. So, I mean, I appreciated her also from that respect, too. Like, being kind of that contrast to Akane in a meaningful way, in a very thematic, character-relevant way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, of course, Hippocrates is also accompanied by his kind of sidekick Pippo. I think he Pippo also is like supposed to be like a apprentice of Hippocrates. And Pippo actually I didn't mention his voice actress now Toyama. In contrast to the other roles in the film, which are like really interesting, oh, returning actors from Keijihara's previous works. Uh like now Toyama is more of a kind of regular anime voice actress. Uh, she did a lot of roles in the 2010s. For me, her best-known roles were Chitoge in Musikoi and Nagisa in Assassination Classroom. Yeah. She's also, I think, playing someone in uh, Infinite Dendrogram this season, I think. Yeah, I mean, she's in six anime this season. Dang, that's a lot. <laughs> like, she's a prolific voice actress. She's in a lot of stuff. That you would recognize. Yeah, just looking at this list, that's a lot of anime. Yeah, so she kind of stands out as someone not necessarily related to Keiji Hara's previous works in terms of like, oh, here's some interesting casting, but also just general really solid voice actress. You know, brings a lot of personality to the character of Pippo. And yeah. makes that character quite fun too. Yeah, Pippo, I like Pippo. Pippo was fine. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> really, the strongest character in the film is Chi. She kind of makes the film with her reactions, her teasing of both Hippocrates and Akane. Like, the way that she gets both of them flustered and is able to, like, rib on them and also be, you know, kind of supportive of Akane in particular. Like, yeah, Chi yeah, was really the character that made the film for me, but the villains are also interesting too because they're not really bad guys. They are kind of jerks that are kind yeah. of reckless and kind of mean in some sense, but also you can understand at least the main antagonist motivations and what what that is rooted in. So the main antagonist's name is Zangu, and he looks kind of like a Sword Art Online villain, specifically Dead Gun. He kind of reminded me of, uh, what's-his-face from Ancient Magus's Bride. The ancient... The, the, skull, the skull head guy. Yeah, that's who I'm talking about. Uh, well, I don't remember his name in particular, but Zangu is actually more of a robotic kind of character in terms of his mask and his body, because uh, we find this out later, but Zangu is actually the prince of the world. So his sidekick, Doropo, was actually the apprentice of the castle's magician, uh, as we mentioned before, Karma Dorma, I believe. 
Maybe. It was something. <laughs> but he anyway, he was the apprentice, and so the wizard turned him into, like, a kind of puppet, you know, so he could, like, recover from his illness in the one year that Kamadorma went to sleep. But Doropo, uh, on Zangu's, uh, pestering, used magic to turn him from the puppet into, like, the robotic body that he inhabits. And the reasons for his actions, basically, he goes around the country kind of stealing metal so he can build, basically, missiles. To destroy the well? Yeah, he wants to destroy the well because the prince's duty, the royal family's duty, is to participate in this yearly ceremony where they basically replenish the water supply. And, you know, the prince is very afraid of this, that he wouldn't be able to do it because... You know, he has been suffering from a lot. Like, he lost his family. There's a lot of burden of expectations upon him. And if he can't, you know, do the job, he has to sacrifice himself to ensure that the water supply is refueled. It's a pretty effed up role. Yeah. <laughs> it is uh, quite dark. I don't know if the message should be that, oh... You have to sacrifice yourself for your duty. You can't shoot this water out of the well. You die. <laughs> yeah, you, die. you gotta jump in the well as a sacrifice to the water gods. So it can rain. Um, so, yeah, that part, I don't know if the metaphor is, like, the, the best message. But also, like, the logic here, like, if he dies, doesn't his lineage just end with him? So then... The rest of the world screwed for eternity. Yeah, I don't know if they taught that far out. I mean, they mentioned at some point that they would sacrifice themselves for the next generation. So presumably the next generation would figure something new out. Hmm. But, like, it is strange because the royal family is said to, like, have this very important specific connection to water in this world. So if they did die out... I don't know about the future, even if, like, he had gone forward with the sacrifice. It is a little strange. Yeah. They'd have to call up Shinkai and get some weather goddesses. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, they should have found Hina instead. I think they chose the wrong girl to be the goddess of the green wind. I think uh, they should have chosen someone who actually had some success bringing uh, the weather. <laughs> But then again, Hina's power is like to clear the clouds, not really summon True. rain. But maybe we just never saw her use her ability in that way. I mean, so. she could shoot lightning. So. You know, that is true. So maybe she has other powers. Maybe she's like really the avatar and she really has only mastered water. And I guess a little bit of fire, she can do lightning. And she needs to learn the other elements. That should be the follow up film is her like <laughs> learning how to control the aspects of the weather. Actually, that's a lot like Frozen 2, too. I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. In Frozen Two, Elsa learns how to use all the powers of all the elements. Oh yeah, yeah, she does. I've forgotten like most of Frozen Two because like really, I don't know. It was pretty mid. Yeah, I mean, this film, I guess I don't want to use a word as dismissive as mid, but I would say that it didn't really capture my interest or. My heart in the same way as Miss Hokusai. Miss Hokusai, even though that was also uh, intended to be a family film, I think dealt with some more interesting themes in terms of OA kind of navigating a world that was a bit hostile to women artists, especially in that time period, and then her really making her own path, like outside of her father's shadow. Like, it dealt with some more interesting subject matter. Yeah, I, I feel like Miss Hokusai definitely covered, like, I wouldn't like to say more mature material, but it had a more, I think, deeper message while... The themes in The Wonderland are a little more superficial. They're, they're surface level, and, like, you can tell that this is supposed to be, like, for young children. Yeah, it's not a bad message for children to say, hey, don't be afraid of growing up, and 
hey, engage with the world around you. The world is actually a pretty beautiful place. Don't kind of keep to yourself. Which, yeah, that's a really good message. But, like, like we're saying is, like, it doesn't really go beyond that. It That's where it stops. Yeah, basically, and that's kind of the disappointing thing, is that there isn't too much really solid cohesion in terms of the themes of the film. Like, they're stated, it's there, you know, they have conversations that kind of make it clear what they're going for, like, in midway into the film. Akane talks with kind of an old man about the differences between her world and the Wonderland and basically how the Wonderland kind of stopped in its technological development after development of the steam train because they were satisfied and the people of the world really appreciate the nature and like just like to kind of live in the world and when Akane returns home at the end of the film you know she stops to take in just the beauty of the landscape around her just in her hometown that previously at the beginning of the film she kind of just bicycles through and didn't really pay attention to. Upon returning home, she like sees just the beautiful green landscapes and just the roads, just like this normal, like, everyday scene of her town. And she realizes, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. Like, the world is really beautiful. Yeah, so that's kind of like a core idea there. That's and a good. Then, that's a good message for kids, like especially since we're like we're in a more technology-driven society now. Like being able to take in nature yeah. and the things around us is good to, I think, bring across to the new generation. Yeah, to not just be on your phone all the time, but like kind of really pay attention to the world. That actually kind of clears up something that happened at the beginning of the film, where there's this whole thing about one of Akane's classmates not getting the memo to put like their hairpin in. Because she was away at her grandmother's and wasn't, uh, didn't have her phone. So that kind of is like similar. It's like, oh, she was at just spending time with her family. So it's like she wasn't really engaging with her phone or being distracted in that way. And like her friends didn't really appreciate that. But when Akane comes back, she's kind of able to like have the confidence to kind of like engage with her friend and then like, patch things over between her and her other friends, you know, and just be more proactive and more social. Kind of like she was, like, hesitant to do that at the beginning of the film when her friend reached out to her to help, like, kind of make amends with the rest of the group. And then at the end of the film, she's able to do that because she's more confident that she can do that. So, you know, I think that's a good message. That actually might be a little subtle for the kids, though, actually. But <laughs> yeah. uh, the main, like, thematic contrast, you know, we mentioned Akai and Chi before, but the Akai and Zangu are also meant to be contrast because they're very similar to each other and that they're both afraid inside, and that kind of puts them to act the way they do. But Akane, it's to be kind of reserved and kind of hang back and be passive. And with Zangu, it's to be, like, aggressive and destructive, which is why Zangu wants to, like, destroy the well, because he's like, I don't think I can do this, so who cares? We're all gonna die anyway. I'm just gonna destroy this, because, you know, why not? Maybe that'll work. Maybe if I blow up the well, all the water will shoot out. I mean, that's his plan. He thinks if he destroys the well, that will free up the water supply. So, it's not a very well-taught-out plan. And it's a little, you know, again, this is a children's story, I suppose. So, it doesn't take a whole lot for Akane at the end to ultimately convince Sangu to try and have the courage to actually go forward with the ceremony. And then actually help him, like, be by his side. I think that's another message is that, you know, even if you're afraid to face something by yourself, if you have someone with you to help you, that's also incredibly valuable. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that message. Yeah. And that's really what is able to help kind of free Zangu from, like, his insecurity is that Akani is able to reassure him. And that transforms him back into his normal human form, ultimately. Like, Akane's reassurance that she'd be by his side and that she would help him and that other people would help him. Hmm. And, you know, you to not be afraid anymore. Like, also, the whole speech she gives about, you know, I was, you know, not really interacting with the world before, but this world's a beautiful place, and, you know, I want to, you know, bring it back. Hmm. You know, make people happy. And beyond the narrative, 
again, to focus on the visuals, like, it is quite a pretty film. I think it's the strongest early on. I think it actually falters after they leave the initial town they're in and start to be in desert areas and snow areas. I think the most striking visuals are actually not even in the Wonderland. It's kind of just the place where Akane lives, like, not just the town, but, like, the, her home. And then I would say that the initial location that they enter, the town with all the red flowers, like, the, that field was so detailed. And it's really striking. Yeah, the, the contrast the, between the red and green. The world design definitely gets a little more bare bones near the middle. I feel like near the end, once they get to like the big like uh, that's trade. also quite detailed. Uh, the capital of the city. But yeah, that middle portion of the film though, it's a lot of just like empty space. Yeah, I would say so. And there's some odd asides, I guess. Like there is a scene in the film that really doesn't tie into anything it's like when they basically go through the immigration of this world like the the border and like we have this aside with the cats and one of the cats the head cat is resembles her pet cat who earlier in the film she pulled on his tail and so this cat like somehow knows that she has pulled on her pet cat's tail and like sentences her to be punished and he punishes her by turning her into like a half human half cat and basically just she has cat ears and a cat tail and then they pull on her cat tail and like uh, thematically i don't know if that ties into anything <laughs> i think it's just like this fun silly joke in the film yeah i think it's kind of implied though like they mentioned like the last goddess was like 600 years ago or something yeah and so it's kind of implied that that was a mom because if you do the math on it all that would be like 25 years you know, that would make sense. Yeah, I think you kind of are on the money there. Yeah, so maybe she met that cat and got, oh, hey, let's get a cat that looks similar. You know, that's a really good interpretation. I think you're kind of on the money, especially because she recognizes the gift that Akane brings back from the world at the end, like kind of the... Is the rug painting? Or? That the cat just uses? As a yeah, match. the cat just sits on. <laughs> but she, she seems to recognize it. So I think that would fit. I mean, especially since we do see, like, a picture of the previous, like, uh, Greenland witch. And it literally just looks like It does look a lot like Kana. So yeah, and it kind of looks like a lot of, like her mom. So, and you know, her mom is named Midori. So green. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that that's probably what it is. But I, it's still strange that the cat knows that Akane pulled on a cat's tails recently. The cats can strange. read any cat-related thoughts, I guess. I guess. I mean, it must be a jellical cat. I mean, I wonder what, <laughs> I wonder what his song is. But who's the jellical choice? Goro Bay, the judge cat. He sits on his desk like a fat cat. If you pull on a tail of one pet cat, he'll get really mad and you won't like that. And it'll sit on your face. <laughs> and it'll sit on your face. <laughs> your face, his ass on your face. Your, your face on his ass. And no, 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 no. You won't like that. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, don't watch cats, folks. Just don't watch cats. No, no. What you need to do is that you need to make a cat movie, but instead of the characters from cats, you have cats from anime, and you just make a new musical based around that. I would actually watch that, though. That would be good. You could have Happy from Fairy Tale, and you could have the... Sensei from uh, Natsume Yujin Show, or whatever that character's name is. You um, could have Rain from what Weathering With You. Yeah, so many great anime cats. I think a lot of people would be more into that musical if it starred though. Well, we forgot about Luna from Southern Moon. Yeah, that's a pretty big one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Luna can turn into a humanoid form, so yeah. <laughs> there you go. Maybe she'd be the jellical choice. <laughs> and just to go back, I guess, I do want to note this with Akane's passiveness. Is that, again, one of the reasons I really felt 
a hard time getting really behind her as a character is just that she is so passive. She is kind of forced into this, like, with the anchor, she literally can't run away, so she doesn't really make a choice of her own until very late in the film. It's really the the climax, basically, is her stopping Zangu from using the missiles and then reassuring him that he can have the courage to do the right thing and then that cheating him back and then later going up with him to do the ceremony and then, like, trying to stop him from, like, the committing suicide, I guess. And then, like, her courage and his resolve being actually what really is able to allow her to sort of honor all that. But, like, up until, like, the very end, you know, she is not a character who's really doing a whole lot. I would say she does a whole lot more, especially, like, right from the start when they get into the world. Like, she's the one who helps calm down the bird by communicating with it. And then she rescues the bird's egg. She does a lot more, she and Hippocrates, than Akane does. It really, it's a process of of Akane being removed from her companions one by one until she is alone. When she has to make a choice by herself, she has to stand up and do what's right and be confident because there isn't anyone else that she, you know, really comes into her own. Which is sort of a mixed message because there's also an emphasis about, you know, you can have courage because someone else is by your side. So... I don't know if it's totally cohesive, but I did notice that. that I, th- I think the flip really... side there, though, is that at that point, like, she ne- then has to play the role of being that support for another ah, person. Ah, that's true. That is true. So, yeah, I mean, that is pretty nice. But, uh, yeah, I did notice that, that the movie very intentionally kind of removed companions from Akane as the film goes on until, like, the moment where she was alone with Zangu and had to be that uh, supportive person for him. So, yeah, that's pretty interesting. And, yeah, I guess I feel that we're covered a lot of the bases with this movie. It's quite simple in terms of plot, and I think we kind of explored the themes pretty well and kind of explored some of the details of the plot pretty well. Yeah, I mean, overall, it's a good film. Like, it's not going to blow you away narratively. But I'd say, like, it's it's a fun film if you have a few hours and want to sit around watching it. I wouldn't say it's one of Keiji Hara's stronger films that I've seen, but it is enjoyable. There was no point in the film where I was like, man, this is not good. Or, man, I'm not really enjoying this. Like, I enjoyed watching the film. Like, there were enough fun characters, especially Witchy, whenever she was on screen, she was a delight. That I got was able to really enjoy the film and the ride and appreciate kind of the messages it was trying to communicate. Yeah, it's just one of those like laid back family films. It's yeah, yeah, it's fun. Like you're not. I mean, you're, we literally sat next to a dad and his son, yeah. and you know I think the kid liked it pretty well. The so. dad made a good choice. Yeah, you know, it's rare to really see a family-friendly film like this. And also, you know, it's a nice coming-of-age story starring a female protagonist who has, like, an adult female companion. Yeah. Kind of as a mentor slash friend. You know, so that's also a really nice thing about it, too. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, don't go into this expecting Miss Hokusai, because it's nothing, like, Miss I dealt with some more mature yeah. subject matter. Like, it was still family-friendly, but it also had a lot more adult teens yeah. to it. Yeah. And it was a lot more interesting, at least personally for me, in terms of how it engaged with art, how it engaged with themes of sex and class and all of that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for this film, though, like, if you have a family or you have a kid that you want to get to anime, I think this would be a good, like, entry film. Yeah, especially if they dub it, I think that would be a good thing. I think this would be a nice film to show the kids. Yeah. I think it would keep their attention for the most part, because it is colorful, it is funny. So, yeah, I think it's a nice one. And I guess one last nitpick that I uh, I guess didn't really 
go have room to fit in anywhere is that I do feel actually that sometimes when they cut back and forth between Akane's group and Zangu's group, like, cause we cut in on Zangu and Jiropo just doing things at several points during the film. And sometimes I felt those cuts were like jarring. Like there was like some scenes where I felt like you didn't really even need this. Like just Zangu and Jiropo driving their tanks through just some town. Yeah. There were a lot of these weird padding scenes, like the one where they had to get the second anchor for, uh, for well, that was kind of funny. <laughs> that was funny. Like, because they, they <laughs> use, like, this dragon poo as fuel. Uh, and it's really funny because this rock music kind of starts playing <laughs> as Hippocrates is driving the car and it's just, like, speeding by. And you just see how fast they're going on the map. And then, like, what really kind of clinches it is, like, the return home where, like... So, for a large chunk of the film, Hippocrates spent his time as a fly... And that started to really bother him because he started acting like a fly. And so there was a good payoff there already where he was like, when he turned back into human, he was rubbing his hands still like a fly. (laughs) But, you know, as they are returning home to the kingdom, she asks Hippocrates, hey, uh, where were you all that time? And then you just kind of smash cut to like (laughs) him. He starts the car and you smash cut to like, oh, they're already at the kingdom. And you see that in the back seat of the car, Akane and Chir like... They're passed out and their hair is all a mess because of how fast, like, yeah, he, he drove just yeah. to avoid answering the question. I mean, it was funny, but at the same time, like, you could have easily cut that entire scene out. There was another good joke in that scene, though, where we go into his house and we see, like, the family portraits. On oh, the wall, yeah, it's all people it's with all mustache. people who look like him. Yeah. And it just ends with, like, him, like, kind of rubbing his own mustache and then Akane and she just give a little laugh. It's all really funny. Mm. Yeah. Again, there are a lot of good bits of humor in this film. A lot of nice touches. It's a little uneven, but overall, I got a good heart in the right place. Yeah, it's fun. Mm-hmm. And that does it for, I guess, the first manga reside movies of 2020. Yeah. I mean, this was a pretty uh, easygoing one to start off at. Yeah, and there's a lot of anime films that will be coming out pretty soon that we will cover. And I think we're going to try to do our best to keep up with them now that we're kind of both at home. And we're going to try and make sure that we record kind of immediately after seeing them so we don't kind of lose the motivation to as has often happened in the past. I feel, yeah, that's, that's I think, the big reason why we haven't recorded an episode in a while. Because we'll be like, oh, hey, let's record this tomorrow and then we don't do it and then yeah. it never happens. So we'll try to be a little better with that. And otherwise, I hope you look forward to another season of At Movies episodes and all the upcoming anime films in 2020. But for now, I think we will sign off. And V-Lord, where can the good people find you? People can find me on Twitter at VLordGTZ. Um, I'm not posting as much lately because I have an actual job again. But I'm mainly just talking about manga on there right now. So if you're interested in checking out some in, like cool manga or just are curious about what I'm reading personally, I would definitely recommend following me on there. Um, you can also find my more manga-focused re- reviews over on old-comic.com, as well as my more Tanami-focused stuff over on TanamiFaithful.com. Um, so definitely check out all that content. And I also host the Demon Slayer podcast, where we talk about everything Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba. And you can find that on Twitter at dslayerpodcast, on facebook.com, um, at facebook.com slash demonslayerpodcast, and on the Tommy Faithful website at tanamifaithful.com slash demonslayerpodcast. And the podcast is streaming on basically everything at this point. Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it, we're there. So look us up, subscribe, and listen to our episodes. As for me, you can find me at Lone Ramiyasha on Twitter and on a variety of places under that name, wherever there's a Lone Ramiyasha, that's where you can find me. And you can read my reviews also on Onlash Comic. Like we Lord, I have a lot of manga reviews in the works, and you can look forward to them on there. But as for the show, you can find Manga Mavericks at Moose and Manga Mavericks on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks on Tumblr at Manga Mavericks.com. 
And our YouTube channel is YouTube slash C slash Manga Mavericks. Just search for Manga Mavericks and search for that's where you'll find it. We're also on a whole bunch of podcast platforms, pretty much anyone you can think of, like Spotify, Podbeam, Stitcher, we're on there, and of course, Apple Podcasts. And we so would appreciate if you would subscribe to us and leave us a rating review because that helps us reach more hearts and minds and more listeners like you. But you can also send us feedback by emailing us at mangamavics.gmail.com and give your thoughts on the film The Wonderland or other films you've seen recently and recommendations for what you'd like to see us cover. And if you want to throw us some support our way and help us continue to produce episodes of ad movies, you can head over to our Patreon, Patreon slash Manga Mavericks, where we have a variety of tier options uh, to help you know us fund the show, help give you rewards as well for supporting the show. We have a one dollar tier for basically early access to our podcast, and then. We have our $5 tier, which offers bonus podcasts every month, and we have several Manga Mavericks ad movies episodes that are bonus podcasts that you can listen to on there right now, like our Alita Battle Angel episode and our Dragon Ball Super Broly episode. Some of those will have partial releases on the public feed this year, but the full podcast can only be listened to on our Patreon. So definitely head over there for those and a whole lot more uh, awesome podcasts that we've recorded on there. One of our most recent bonus pods was a review of Kazuki Takahashi's miniseries The Comic with the translator for that series for Viz Media and Children's Jump, Stefan Koza, who is also well known as the translator for an ongoing Children's Jump hit, Jujutsu Kaisen. It was great to talk about that series with Stefan. And also, we have a new Patreon bonus pod miniseries coming up where Colton and Doctor will be going through the Sing Sam manga. So if you really enjoyed my discussion with uh, the translator and the editor of the original Sing Sam manga released by Viz Media, Dr. Morimoto and Sharon Garrity that I, we released last year, and you want some more Sing Sam discussion from the perspective of newcomers to the series, definitely pledge to the Patreon as Colton and Doctor goes through the series every month, uh, two volumes at a time, which I think was going to be a lot of fun. I look forward to hearing their thoughts on the series as first timers. But that about does it for the show and this episode of Manga Mavericks at Movies, and we will see you in the next one. And scene!